In preparation for this morning's lesson, we will be reading from the New Testament, from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. The reading is short, but it is packed with power and meaning. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Good morning, church. So today is the last Sunday of July, and as such, we are going to conclude our sermon series this month on what we believe about salvation. We can't stress enough the importance of salvation in our lives. In fact, one of the most important questions that we can ever ask is this, what must I do to be saved? You know, this month we've, you know, we've provided some answers to that question. What must I do to be saved? And when we look into God's word in scripture, we see what the early church did um, with that question as they answered it with their actual examples. The people in the New Testament uh, church, in the early church, God converted into Christ by first hearing the word of God. And when they heard the good news about Jesus, they believed it. They placed their faith and in the, their trust in Jesus and confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And then that's the time when they, you know, repent. They, they, they change their mindset about things. They place their priority on Christ and everything else is second. And then they put on Christ in the waters of baptism. That is how one gets converted into Christ. That's how one gets saved. Now, this is not something that's, you know, that's, that's um, exclusive to the churches of Christ. This is something that people and many religious, religious groups believe. Because when you put hand on heart, look in scripture, and ask that question, what must I do to be saved? And you, you comb scriptures for, that, for, for, an answer, for answers to that question, you will see it. Plain and, plain and simple. In fact, one of the... One of the most prominent New Testament Christians, Robert H. Stein, okay, he's not from the Churches of Christ, he's from a Baptist church, says this in one of his articles. In the New Testament, conversion involves five integrally related components or aspects, all of which took place at the same time, usually on the same day. And then he names the five things. He says, these five components are repentance, faith, confession by the individual, regeneration or the giving of the Holy Spirit, and baptism by the representatives of the Christian community. What must I do to be saved? It's in scripture. We see it. We see our part, and that part is faith. And, and, and this faith translates into several components that is essential to our salvation. Now, what I want to do today for the last lesson in our series is to ask another important question after we ask the first one, what must I do to be saved? And what I want to talk to you about this morning is this question right here. What comes after baptism? After you get baptized, just like the people of old in the early church, what did they do after baptism? Okay. To answer this question, we want to put it in the context. Because we can arrive at this so many ways. I can give you a list of things to do, list of things to remember. But we want to put things in context. What we want to do is we want to remember what baptism does for us. 
And when we do that, we can understand and, uh, and, and put in context what is expected of us after baptism. So the scripture reading today in Galatians 3, 26 to 27, succinctly tells us what happens after baptism. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You are baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ, and therefore you are children of God. And we do this through faith. So what we're going to do is we're going to look into this, and we are going to confirm for ourselves this morning the answer to that question. What comes after baptism? What is expected of us after we get baptized? We are going to work our way up into that verse, beginning with this one right here. After baptism, we put on Christ. That's what happens. We put on Christ. So what is the significance of this? Well, putting on Christ is something that is related to our new life in Christ. When we talk about uh, being born again, this is what it means. You rise in newness of life. The old person that's you, the old Jamanim Tim, is not, is not me anymore. Now I have a new person. I, I, there's a new person living in me. Jesus Christ. Okay? I am not, I am not who I'm supposed to be anymore. I, I'm not, I'm not the old person anymore before baptism. After I get baptized, I have a new priority. I have a new identity in Christ. We need to remember this because, um, you know, for those people who have been baptized, this is something that we need to keep in mind. But for those people who are yet to be baptized, you need to count the cost. That's why Jesus Christ himself says this relationship that we have with him costs us something. It costs us our life. Okay, contrary to many, many things out there, you know, our relationship with God costs us our life. We need to put the old person away so that we can put the new person in. And we see that uh, in Scripture. I love this because Everett Ferguson, another New Testament scholar that I admire, okay, in one of his books, Baptism in the Early Church, says this about baptism. Contrary to the modern evangelical understanding that faith affects this new life and baptism is, is a subsequent human work, okay, He's saying that many people think that baptism is a human work, not God's work. It's not part of our salvation. What Everett Ferguson is saying here is that for the Apostle Paul, who wrote our scripture reading this morning in Galatians, for Paul, it is God who does everything and a person nothing in baptism. And the new life that God gives to faith begins at baptism. The Christian's existence as a Christian does not occur without baptism. So we need to understand that this is something that the early church believes, and so we believe it as well. Because if it's good enough for them, it's good, it's good for us. We, we, we don't want to change that. Okay? Um, God's initiative is in baptism so that he can restore us back to a right relationship with him. It's not mainly concerned about human response. It's concerned about God's priority and initiative. Okay? I am not here to baptize myself. Somebody does that for me. That's why he says in this particular uh, quote, 
that a person does nothing in baptism. It is his initiative. And when we do that, our text tells us that we are renewed. We are regenerated. There's a new person living in us, not us anymore. We have a new priority. This is exactly why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. After we get baptized, we need to remember that we are now a new person. That is what repentance does. That is why it is essential that when we read in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. He doesn't say baptize and then maybe later on you can repent. Okay? We need to do that beforehand. Because when we don't do that and we get baptized, it's going to be tough for us to turn around. It's going to be tough. Okay? We have to put away the old and put on the new. And also in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's a lot of work. You know, I told you this before. My wife is an educator and it, she, she tells me, she reminds me, and, I, I, and I'm always reminded of what she told me a long time ago. She said, the point of education is not, or adult education is not to teach people new stuff. The point of adult education is to help adults unlearn the things that they have learned that's not correct. It's the same thing with Christianity. We need to unlearn. We need to like put off our old self so that, because our old self is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. If our old selves are still here after we get baptized, you know what's going to happen? We are going to believe what we believe that is deceitfully correct, we think. It deceives us to think that, oh, what you believe, Jay, is correct. Whereas, really, it deceives me to thinking that it is, that it is correct. It's not. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, in this passage in front of us, that we need to put on the new self by renewing the attitude of our minds. Okay? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, after we get baptized, there's a point. The point is, God wants to, to, to help us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's when we put on Christ. That is when we are not here anymore, but Christ is here. It, it, it should affect the way we talk. It should affect the way we think. It should affect the way that we decide what to do with the things that are around us, with our possessions, with our work, with our relationships. Um, I know it's uh, cliche, but remember WWJD? Do you guys know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? When we put on Christ, we always ask that question. In this particular instance, what would Jesus do? When we put on Christ, we follow him. Because everything that he tells us to do, he did. He's our example. So what would Jesus do? Now it's a matter of priority, you see. And to illustrate that, I give you the game of Monopoly. I'm pretty sure you guys have heard of this game before. Okay? If you have not, talk to me after. I'll, we'll play together. Okay? Who here loves the game of Monopoly? There you go. Wow. 
There's several of you guys here. Who here is really good at Monopoly? <laughs> Kelly's really good at Monopoly. Imagine Kelly, right? Playing Monopoly. Kelly, you know, I love the game of Monopoly because it involves money and you get to build houses and hotels. Imagine Kelly, okay, going out into the grocery store and telling the cashier there, hey, I have a lot of money and pulls out her Monopoly money. What do you think they're going to say? They're not going to say anything. They're probably going to laugh at you saying, is this a joke? Where's the camera? Imagine Kelly in a business conference, you know, stands up and says, hey, guys, guess what? I have houses and hotels on Park Place. What do you think they'd say? They would laugh them out. They would laugh her out of the room, right? See, it would be the exact same thing in our spiritual lives today. When we become Christians, all these worldly things are nothing without Jesus Christ as our priority. Now, I'm not saying that when you become a Christian, you stop doing well at work, or you stop doing well at school, or you stop, you stop building your relationships with people. On the contrary, when we become Christians, we want to do even better in those areas. But here's the, here, here's, here's the catch. The reason why we want to do better at them is not because we want to, we want to uh, do it for our own selves. We are not our priority anymore. Our priority is Christ now. We want to do well at work and at school because we want to give him glory. We want to be good stewards of what God has given to us. So we want to do well at work and at school. And also, since we're doing well at work, then we will be able to tell others about Christ better. They will be, we, we, we will be more believable when we're doing well at work. Do you understand? That's the, that, 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 that's the point. See, now, there's one way to find out when we're doing well at work and we're doing it for ourselves. Do you know how you can find out if you're doing it for God or for, for yourself? If I'm doing it for myself, I will do everything in my power to do well at work, to be promoted, right? Um, on the back of other people. I wouldn't care if I stepped on people's toes. I wouldn't care if my relationship with God diminishes or suffers. As long as I do well at work, I don't care about church. I don't care about Christ. I don't care about if I have to like swear at my coworker or lie at work or do bad things at work. As long as I do well at work, then I'm okay. That's how I know that I'm doing it for myself. But it's different if we do it for Christ. See, after baptism, we've put on Christ. We are now Christians. That is our, that is our new identity in Christ. This is why in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, though. Right? I'm dead because I've been crucified. But the one who lives in me is Christ. And I love it because it's such a small sentence. There's, it's chock full of information. The significance of Christ living in me is this. The life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, 
I live by faith in the Son of God. Not for me. Not my own work, but His work, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is the significance of our baptism, brothers and sisters. That after baptism, we are expected to remember that we have put on Christ. That our old selves are not here anymore. Maybe before you used to steal. Maybe before you don't think about cheating on your taxes. Maybe before you don't think about swearing. Using vulgar words to communicate your points. Maybe before you don't think about, you you don't think less about stepping on people's toes to get, to get, to get your own way. But after baptism, we're supposed to be different. And that's what we need to work on. Now, the second thing that I want to touch on in this passage is the fact that all this happens through, through faith. Because God's grace is His part in salvation. God's grace is for everyone. But not everybody accesses that grace through faith. Okay? Our part is faith. Now, earlier I said that the most important question, one of the most important questions that we can ask is this. What must I do to be saved? Remember that? In Scripture, this question was asked to Paul and Silas by the Philippian jailer. Do you guys remember that in Acts 16? Paul and Silas were beaten for preaching the gospel in Philippi, and they got sent to prison. Fast forward to Acts chapter 16, verse 30. The Philippian jailer, the the, the jail uh, warden, approached Paul and Silas and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Silas and Paul answered this way in verse 31 of chapter 16 in Acts. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now I talked about this in my, in, you know, two weeks ago in, in my last sermon, but I want to just touch on it again today because I think it's important that it bears repeating. That word believe in the Greek is this, pistuo. There you go. Thank you for repeating that, Doug. Pistuo. That means to have faith in. But in the English Bible, it's always usually translated as believe. And I want you to be cognizant of that. Okay? Because the, the word pistuo is taken from another Greek word. That's the root is pistis, which is faith. That is why we know that, that believe and faith in the Bible, in the English Bible, are, pre, are, are one and the same. One is a noun, one is a verb. Okay? But it is, it is tricky in English because in English, believe, you don't need to do anything when you believe. Okay? For the most part. When you say, well, I believe in angels, you can just leave it at that. You don't need to change your life believing in angels or whatever, or leprechauns, whatever. You don't have to change your life. Right? But when we say we have faith in God, it's belief in action. Okay? It has to change us. Because just saying that you believe in God and not do, and then it doesn't, your actions don't show, it doesn't do any good for you or for anyone. It doesn't change us. But faith changes us. So when the Philippian jailer heard this, this is what happened next. 
in verses 32 to 33. Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him. That's important in salvation because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith is tied and anchored in the word of God. Okay? If what you believe is not is not found in the word of God, then your faith is man-made. It's not from God. Okay? It's not from Christ. The reason why scripture says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith is because our faith is tied to him. He is the one that we believe. We read about him in the Bible and we put our faith in him. And as we continue to learn about him, he perfects our faith. Okay? That's why it's important that Paul and Silas tell them about the gospel first before he got baptized. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and his family were baptized. The point that we want to make here is that faith is not just a one-time thing that you do before you get baptized. And after that, you forget about it. After that, you just attend church and nothing else happens. You do whatever you want. You accumulate possessions. You do well at work. You do well at school. You marry and then that's it. As long as you get baptized, you're good to go. It doesn't work that way. Relationships do not work that way. When we get married... It doesn't mean that, hey, I got married, so I'm done, I'm done, I'm done dealing with my wife. I got married now. It's just, that's the start. Baptism, in the same way, is the start of our relationship with Christ. It starts there. In fact, faith is severely important as, after baptism because God expects us to grow in our faith. When God tells us, You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That's huge. That doesn't happen overnight, though. It happens over time. Okay? When God tells us, you know, uh, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans 12. it, It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually as we grow. Okay, so um, let me illustrate with this. Okay, how many of you guys came here and passed by a construction zone? Ah, right here, right, right? Do you guys notice that it seems like in Winnipeg or in many, in the areas that I've lived, it's like they always work on the same things over, like it doesn't stop construction. Do you guys notice that? It's always under construction. But the way I look at that is different. I don't look at that negatively. I look at that as, hey, they are improving continuously the infrastructure in the city of Winnipeg. It's the same thing in our spiritual life. We are never done growing. We are never done building our faith on Christ. Never. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or 35 or 42 or 89 or 97. You don't retire from this. You don't say, oh, I'm done. That's, let, let the young people, you, you don't, that doesn't happen. We are always under construction. God is always re- regenerating us, renewing us for himself. Okay? 
God is not concerned with good enough. Good enough is not good enough for God. God is concerned about the best in us. Because remember, that's love. Love is not concerned with good enough. If you love someone, you want the best for them. That is what God expects from us in our relationship with Him. Okay? Good enough is not good enough. We are always under construction. Do you guys remember this popular adage? I know the military. I was in the military for, for a while, and they love saying this. They say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Have you guys heard of that? You know, I, we can't believe in that. If we believe in that passage, in that, in that expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, we don't believe in continuous growth. We don't believe in continuous quality improvement. We don't believe in growing. We don't believe in excellence. Because we can always improve. We can always grow. When we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm done growing, then we're not doing this. I've told you this many times, but we're not going like this. When we say we're done growing, you're, we're going like this. Unintentionally, you're, you're, you're drifting away. Kind of like rowing. You don't need to do anything to drift away. Actually, you just take your oar, put it in the boat, you're going to drift away. The same thing with our faith. Faith and growth, important after baptism. Now, finally, I want to highlight this last one. At baptism, we put on Christ, and through faith, we are children of God. It is important for us to understand that as children of God, as sons and daughters of the one true God, we are never alone in our spiritual growth. God is there because we're in a relationship with him. Baptism is the, is the point where we are with him in a covenant relationship. He is our God and we are his people. And he never lets his people down. Okay? Do you remember in Philippians, I believe it's in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul says this, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you remember that? For it, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good purpose. You see the, the two parts there in our relationship? We have our part and God has his part. We need to fearfully with reverence allow him to work in us so that he can, he, he can, he, he can do his work through us through his spirit. But we need to willfully do that with fear and trembling. Okay? It is the same thing um, with, with, with us today. But the thing is, as children of God, and this, this is what I want to highlight in this last part. As children of God, God gives us other people to help us in our, in our faith. As sons and daughters of God, guess what? We have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are in the family of God called the church. And that's the last point that I want us to hoist in in this study. After baptism, we are expected to be active, contributing members of his family, the church. 
we're not just the people that, you know, you know, have you, have you guys been to a family reunion? Okay. The Knutsons just had a family reunion, right? You don't, you don't just go to the family reunion and then eat the food and then leave. You're expected to really take in the relationships that you have with your family. You, you know, you, you want to know what, what, what's going on with people. You don't just come in, eat, and then leave. It's the same thing in our relationship with Christ and with each other as the church. We need to make sure that as children of God, we acknowledge and uh, develop meaningful relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So here is what the early church did after they got baptized. Okay, It gives us an idea on what is expected from us today. So in Acts 2, so those who received his word were baptized. This is Peter talking, right? He preached a sermon to them, and 3,000 people were baptized into the church. Now this is what they did afterwards. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know what that is? That's Bible study. They studied the word together. If you're a member of the church, you study the Bible with the church. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, relationship with each other. Do you see that? Fellowship is, the actual word means they shared everything with each other in common. And the key is they were there for it. They were there physically for it so that they can one another each other. Because it's one of the things that Jesus tells us to do, right? Love one another, serve one another, forgive each other, carry each other's burdens. They didn't just come together and ate food and then left. They served each other. They cared for each other. They had deep relationships with one another. Okay? To the breaking of bread, they devoted themselves to that. You know what that is? When did they break bread in the early church? When do we break bread here today? Sunday mornings. They worshipped God together. After they got baptized. What else? They prayed together. Because prayer is really the key. I'm going to ask uh, the key. Like I've realized that prayer is the key to gauging our relationship with God. What your relationship with God is. Okay? You can understand your growth by your prayers. Let me ask you this, and I want you to answer in your mind. How is your prayer life today? Your answer to that question tells you how your spiritual growth and relationship with God is like. After baptism, the early church devoted themselves to prayers. And I want to highlight that word last, devoted. And I want to leave you with that. Okay, I want to leave us with that. This challenge. Devoted, being devoted to something means you're intentional about it. It means you are focused on it. It means that you care about it. And it means that you are dedicated to it. This is what you want. This is your priority. As baptized believers, I want to ask you this question. And I want to challenge you today to really... Answer in the positive. In the positive meaning, I want to be better. How are you 
in studying the word of God with the church. How are you in your relationships with each other in the church? You know, one of the gauges of a strong congregation is what happens after Sunday morning? What does the church do after Sunday morning? Is there something that do the church meet and gather around in small groups of two, three, four, five after, you know, outside of Sunday mornings? When they do, then that congregation is thriving. Not just attending on Sunday mornings. Because we realize that this thing called love, it doesn't grow just by hearing things. It grows when you actually practice it. And we practice it with each other. You understand? We practice it with each other. Now, how are we in worship, with worshiping with the church on Sundays? How are we with our prayers? And so, as we think about what comes after baptism, I want us to be, rem- to be reminded of the fact that the answer to that is quite simple. Just think about what happened to us after we got baptized. When we got baptized, we put on Christ and we became children of God. And all this we did. We accessed the grace of God through faith. And this faith is not of our own. It's based on Jesus Christ. Let us keep growing. Let us keep serving. And let us keep on growing in our relationship with each other for the glory and praise of God the Father in heaven. Let us stand as we sing the song of invitation.